Hello and welcome to Virtual Philanthropy. I'm your host, EJ Jacobs. Virtual Philanthropy is a donor-led virtual tour of the grant-making process. Donors walk us through how they find potential organizations and ultimately decide to fund them. Today's person in philanthropy is Kadi Silla with the King Baduin Foundation of the U.S. because there definitely is a difference between the U.S. and all the other places that you're based. So before we talk about that, let's hear a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, happy to be here. Thank you, EJ, for this. Um, I know King Bodon Foundation is a bit of a mouthful thing to say, yeah. so we go KBFUS <laughs> just for everybody who's listening. And we're not making, we're not telling anybody to like, you know, what the middle part says. It's KBFUS. KBFUS, <laughs> exactly. King Bodon Foundation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I'm Kadi. So thrilled to be here. Thank you for this. Um, my, about me, originally from West Africa, uh, grew up in New York City as a refugee, and so social justice and nonprofit are very close to heart. But currently, I serve as a senior advisor for Africa at King Bodwan Foundation United States. I said it again, KBFUS, uh, where I uh, play the central role of coordinating and working with our Africa partners, as well as the donors, Africa-focused donors, are in our donor advised funds and other services that we offer. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But KBFUS, uh, for those who don't know, um, is a, a, a public charity in the United States that serves um, as a fiscal sponsor for nonprofits overseas. Uh, we originally started focusing on Europe, giving to Europe and Africa. Uh, we've now branched out where uh, we are part of a, an alliance called Myriad Alliance um, and have lots of connections across the world, predominantly um, in Asia. Asia, we have Hong Kong as well as uh, Australia, so as part of this uh, Myriad Alliance. So that, that's one phase of King Bodwan Foundation as part of this major network. Uh, the other one too that I think is important mentioning is our parent foundation in Brussels called King Bodwan Just for Short uh, Foundation, which started after the Congo's independence in 1976. And the idea there was really uh, focused on King Bodwan Foundation serving as a public good predominantly in the art space in Europe, and then everything branched out, including Africa. Um, from there, we are now part of a huge network of foundations. We have a sister foundation in Canada called King Baduan Foundation Canada. We have other uh, foundations across Europe, in addition to Brussels. Uh, we are also part of the Transnational Giving Europe. Uh, so lots of strategic partnership going on. All of that is to say that King Baduan Foundation United States, KBFUS, is not a grant-making foundation at all. Our parent foundation in Brussels is. Uh, we really are is facilitating giving to Africa and Europe, uh, where we help donors who are interested in social entrepreneurship and nonprofits, just generally speaking, um, in, in these foreign nations to, to facilitate that giving. Well, before I jump into the King Badawin Foundation US, I'm going to say that three times fast as a tongue twister to help <laughs> me as well. And I'm interested in about yourself as well. I mean, you talk about being a West African refugee living in New York City, where I think 90% of the people here can consider themselves refugees. Right. So few people are actually born and raised here, uh, that it's a place where everyone sort of comes here and makes uh -huh. their own identity. How do you feel like being in New York of all places as a refugee and as a New Yorker has sort of shaped how you, you come to this, this role? Absolutely. Uh, so... 
coming to New York was not a choice. I think that's something to keep in mind. I'm not saying that those who come here by choice have it any easier. That's not what I'm implying. Uh, but I literally mean refugee in terms of having to lose everything with my family. My mom is a trailblazer in politics and continues to be. And that got us in a lot of trouble in my native country of Guinea. And we had to leave and uh, restart life from scratch. That said, um, pretty painful experience. But I have to say that uh, the civil lining was also me having to develop a personality that straddles between being an African-American woman in the U.S. as well as an African woman. Um, I understand that most people are like, what? It's, it's not the same thing, but kind of not, right? Um, and I'm sure you can relate to that, AJ. But As an African-American woman. As an African. Yes. <laughs> Lots of experience there. Um, but, I, but I think the reason I point those two out is for me, both, I identify with the struggles of black Americans in America, and frankly, black people in the diaspora. But at the same time, Africa is my heart, it's my soul, and I've made it a point to continue to connect to the continent and the social issues that are happening there. And for me, philanthropy in that context has been an incredible tool that helps me serve that life calling, if I can call it that way, that life mission, while also staying grounded in what's happening to people like me across the world. So I hope that sort of tackles uh, some of the missing details initially. Yes, of course. And, and thinking about also the role now within King Badawin, where you are not necessarily a, a, a non-profit per se, or not a, a strict donor, but you're a facilitator because you're working with many donors and you're working with many non-profits. Do you feel like your experiences help donors understand what they're getting into when they go there and how they should be looking at how their grants can be serving the communities? Or do you feel like it actually serves more on the nonprofit side in terms of letting them understand how philanthropy works? Or is it equal on both sides? I think it's both. And that's, for me, what's been the most incredible experience being at KBFUS, being in a position or, or at least serving in a role that helps me see both sides, right? Um, we have to keep in mind uh, for yourself and also the audience, we are mostly donor-led. So it should be remembered that most donors come to us already knowing what they want to fund, already knowing the partners that they're working with. Uh, we just serve at that um, facilitator in order to help nonprofits, frankly, on the ground to get the resources that they need to move forward and not having to deal with their own 501c3 setup. We probably shouldn't get into that, that the mess that is. But Basically, we These are normally meant to be less than five hours. So <laughs> yeah. We can talk about the 501c3 right, some other time. What? But basically, we at King Bodon Foundation uh, firmly believe that, King Bodon Foundation US, firmly believe that uh, foreign nonprofits, especially uh, in places that are emerging in, across Africa, and now we're branching into Latin America as well. But maybe, I hope Jean Paul doesn't kill me for kind of mentioning this quite quickly. But the way basically we believe is that. Nonprofits, especially in emerging countries or in emerging communities, should not be stopped from having the kind of impact that they need simply because they're not registered in the United States as 501c3, right? Um, so our role there is sort of facilitating understanding clearly, are you at least registered in your country of origin? Uh, what is your impact? What is the impact that you're doing? And how do we help out? Um, and I love serving in that role. 
Um, that said, we definitely are mostly donor-led, again, because they come letting us know, here's what I need, these are my grantees, help me out. Uh, but there are instances when a donor isn't clear what to do, right? Like they have the, the funds and they are interested in impact, but they don't have the landscape understanding. They don't have the contextual understanding. So that's where I come in, uh, given that personal lived experience, as well as my 10 years of professional experience, uh, that sort of straddles between nonprofits in the U.S. as well as Africa and Europe for that matter, um, and then provide them with the best service that we have, best advice, um, and also our very rigorous due diligence process since that trust has already been built to help facilitate that giving. One last point about the the work that you do there before we go into the next section. Mm-hmm. As we discussed before, you're straddling a line between working with donors and nonprofits. Are there certain responsibilities that you feel like you need to have when having those conversations both with donors and nonprofits? Absolutely. I think for us, the biggest responsibility on both sides, right, is ensuring that, for instance, on the donor side, we don't, KBFUS is agnostic in terms of, and you know, issue, right? That said, we don't engage in like ideological things, right? So if a donor comes to us and then say, I am, for instance, I'm going to donate to a nonprofit in Africa that is preaching abstinence to avoid AIDS. We don't engage in that. Or I'm going to donate to, uh, I don't know, communication or some sort of campaign that is advocating wrong inf- the wrong information about COVID. We don't engage in that. So that's, we do have our limits. But so that's part of our responsibility, right? Like we don't engage in ideological spaces at all because it's frankly none of our business and we're not interested. That said, when we have don- most donors who come to us very reputable individuals, as well as nonprofits that we deal with. Um, it's sort of understanding how do we best ensure that trust is kept on both sides. And so we, we engage with donors in a way of, you know, answer question answer sessions like what what are your needs what you're looking for how can we help you um, and then once we have all that information again keep in mind this is only donors who don't yet have a sense of who they're going to fund most of them do and we really don't go through that process it's not necessary but for those who don't um, we want to get to know more like what are you interested in what are some of the objectives that you have that you want to achieve so we clarify that criteria and then look into our databases to figure out who could be the most closely related um, partner in that. Are there ever any misconceptions that, that those donors bring to the table that you have to sort of dispel either about working in the areas like Africa and some of the new places you're working at in Latin America, uh, specific to Africa since you're focused on Africa? Are there any sort of misconceptions that you have to sort of work through? Or do you feel like it's more about the process that you have to sort of walk them through in terms of how the money will be spent and things like that? Is it more about their view of Africa or is it more about their view of the process that you have to sort of walk them through more? Well, I get the caveat here is I haven't been at KBFBS long enough to kind of notice some of those patterns yet, but I do, I've noticed, I've been here long enough to notice that once we have the relationship established, I'll tell you, for instance, our American Friends Fund, which is the Africa partner side, not a donor side, right? Uh, Once we go through that due diligence process and we understand needs and everyone is on the same page, there is a misconception that KBF US is almost sort of like a bank. And once they have their funds, we just wire them. And so it's a constant reminder, we are a public (laughs) charity. We are responsible for reporting on our financial activities. These are some of the requirements that you have to, even after we have gone through the due 
diligence process. Everything is cleared. And what that basically means is that for our American Friends Fund, once people have, um, we are all in agreement in terms of what needs to be done, they require services, and we're here with, with them to, to partner with them, there is a, a grant request. So if you need money or if you need your fund, you, we need to put in the grant request so people know exactly what's going on. Uh, we all are on the same page in terms of reporting. Uh, for the donor side, I haven't, I frankly have not come across any donor yet that comes with, I'm sure there are many, that comes with the wrong assumption about Africa. And I also have to say that at least for King Baudouin Foundation US, a lot of the donors seem to be quite progressive. They, they, they seem to be very, um, what should I say? Almost like advocates for their partners. They're there with them. Um, I don't want to say hold their hands because these are like grown social entrepreneurs, like leaders of their own organizations. But I guess a lot of the donors, what I have seen in my experience so far is that many donors know that the nonprofit space in the U.S. is complicated. And so they're there with their partners, taking the journey together and making sure that we provide them the support that they need. So I haven't seen any of that yet. I think it's quite interesting that uh, using the word partner is not enough because with the word partner has been skewed so much that you have to mm. sort of explain. It's not like hand-holding because ideally when you say someone's a partner, that's what a partnership should be. That's how mm. a partnership looks. However, because partnerships have been so skewed, I mean, we said, I remember being a donor and saying you're a partner and I think sometimes nonprofits didn't actually 100% believe that. They thought there was some sort of hierarchy and I said, mm -hmm. no. You're doing much more work than I am. I'm approving the grant. We're getting the grant out to you, but you're the one who's spearheading this. It's your responsibility to the community that's most paramount. So you are not, if it's not a partnership, you're way ahead of me in terms of what's happening. But we've allowed that partnership to look like something not that's not a partnership. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's quite interesting that you sort of had to sort of explain how it's not really like this, but it's hand-holding because the word partnership has sort of lost its meaning when it shouldn't have. It really mm -hmm. is something that's meant to be an equal partnership there. And without any further ado, let's do the shameless plug. Tell me what you want to plug. It can be the latest Broadway show you've just seen since we're in New York, or it could be something that your organization's doing. It really is up to you. Totally. Um, this is a little bit of a um, bittersweet, um, especially given what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. But I have to say that one of the privileges of being at KBF US is its incredible agility to respond to needs immediately. Um, and I've been privileged enough to be in a position right now where I'm leading, uh, working closely with my team, um, and of course our leader to lead uh, the humanitarian effort for the people of Ukraine. Um, the the speed at which that happened still blows my mind. And on top of that, we did I would say we did the work so well that we have other partners are recommending us as high impact for humanitarian good in Ukraine. So I suppose that's a, a, a good pat on the shoulder, <laughs> shamelessly. Well, I think it's anything, anything that's happening to help with the people uh, suffering in Ukraine or suffering anywhere is worth highlighting. So thank you for that. Now we go to the virtual tour. And before we even do the virtual tour, I would just remind the people listening that you've already said that on paper, you are a nonprofit, mm -hmm. but how you're looked at is very much so as a donor, and or at least a donor, a, a person occupying a space in the donor community. So, what happens when a nonprofit wants to be on your radar? Is it purely where the donors come to you and say, "I want to fund that nonprofit," or is it that you have sort of a portfolio of nonprofits that you can point to and say, "If you want high impact, go there." And if that's the case, obviously, how does someone get onto that portfolio? I love your question. Um, so, yeah. 
mostly led by donors who already know, as I've said, what they want and who they want to fund. So there's not much there, uh, to be honest. But when we do have the opportunity to step in and do those recommendations, KBFUS processes really personal relationships, right? Like a trust building. The people trust us. The partners that we deal with at, through our American Friends Funds, whether that's in Africa or Europe or around the world, there is a trust that's already been built. The, the donors trust us. So when it comes time for us to recommend to any donor who might be interested in other partners, they've already got to be in our pipeline of that built-in relationship over time. Now, how do we, how do you stay on our radar? Most of the time, it's recommendations through other trusted parties. Um, and I know I'm going to get a lot of slack for saying trust, trust. What are you talking about, philanthropy trust? Uh, but it's really... At, at the most fundamental level, that simple, right? Like personal relationships. I think, you know, we can have all the due diligence, which is great. It's very important. But I think it's really hard when you're a facilitator at KBFUS that is essentially acting as an extended infrastructure for nonprofits to really help everyone to get to the impact that they need. The trust element is really, really essential. So basically answering your question, People get to us because our trusted partners recommend them. They get on our radars. Now, we do get a lot of cold calls, um, and I know we'll get to this question, so I promise you that I'm not jumping ahead. People <laughs> misunderstanding, hey, I'm looking for funding, and so on and so forth. Go, oh, we're not a funder. Uh, we'll get to that, so I shouldn't go ahead and spoil that. No, it's fine. But, but, <laughs> but basically, to your question, how do people get on our radar? Recommendations from our uh, existing partners, that's one way. The other way, too, is often seeing those are doing great work but can also often be overlooked so I personally will reach out to people in our network and I say hey who is in our network that you know could benefit from our services that we should know about and so once I'm put in touch with them the communication starts and then we get to know more about them and we get to a point where they're KBFUS ready or maybe not yet um, if we don't we never reject anybody that's not our model and so if you're not KBFUS ready the communication is still open you can Keep us updated about your work. Um, and when that time comes, it comes. But it's really based on trust. I would ask you to define trusted partners for people because that can be trusted partners at a philanthropic level, which, of course, might be difficult for nonprofits to to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if they had those trusted partners, <laughs> they may not be looking for funding. Mm -hmm. But if those trusted partners are also nonprofits, how do they work those relationships? You know, Because I think many people feel like talking to other nonprofits about fundraising is almost a taboo subject, you know. Mm -hmm. I need funding as well. How can I talk to you about who my partners are? So first, for our audience, to find trusted partners, and if they do include nonprofits, how do nonprofits have those conversations with other nonprofits about their funding networks? Yeah, that's a really, that's a good question, but also a very tough one, right? <laughs> that's a very tough question. I think for us, uh, especially for those in the American Friends Fund, um, First and f the basic first of all, you need to be locally registered, right? Um, it's it's it. We could trust you, but if you're not locally registered, that makes it very difficult uh, in terms of our funding relationship to or relationship with donors that we are handling. We need that as a as a public charity. So I would say like that's what would be like the basic of it. Uh, but beyond that, beyond like the logistical and technical issues of things, I think trusted partner is KBF having the confidence to say we know the kind of work that they're doing because we are in touch with them regularly. And I will mention a couple of organizations that can fall. Um, 
I would say all of the, the American French funds in the Africa sense, and frankly, also the European sense that we have fallen under there. But a, a couple of trusted partners that I want to shout out to Akira Chicks. Shameless plug, shameless okay, plug. Okay, shameless plug again. <laughs> but Akira Chicks in Nairobi is one of it. They do great work, right? Like locally led, women led, from like cutting edge technology for gender, also gender equity. So that's Akira Chicks in Nairobi. We have Fundy Butts in Uganda equally well-known doing locally-led programming, but also really building the next generation of STEM education in East Africa. We have, um, you know, Clinic Plus O right now in Guinea. That is absolutely breaking the, brown, the, the ground for healthcare access in a country that I come from and I personally know nobody gets access to healthcare. So to see this, you know, organization leading that effort there is mind blowing. So if you're doing the work one way or the other, especially if you're contributing, adding value to community needs, people are going to know. KBFUS might not know, but people are going to start talking and then we're plugged in in that process. So I want to say trusted partner in the, in the sense, yes, you need to pass our due diligence process, but also there has to be a way that we know that impact is happening. We, we are in constant communication with them, and then this is something that we can confidently attest to, to say, yes, we know them, we know the type of work that they do, this is the impact that they're having, we're happy to step in. So I hope that really addresses or clarifies the trust set issue that we mentioned. Yes, and you've already sort of uh, did your own spoiler alert for the next uh, section, which is the mistaken identity, but all's forgiven. Uh, <laughs> you've already touched upon it, but I think maybe just having a little bit of a deeper dive into how that conversation looks for you when an organization comes to you and say, you know, we are interested in being a grantee mm -hmm. of King Vardwan Foundation. Just mm -hmm. How do you steer that conversation? Because as you mentioned, there's an opportunity to be a trusted partner. There's a chance to be uh, in the portfolio. So it's not necessarily a no, as you've mentioned here, but how does that conversation normally go with an, an organization that says, oh, King Bardwin Foundation, especially as you mentioned, King Bardwin Foundation, as I'm calling it right now, is based in, in Brussels. Is based in, in Brussels, Brussels yeah. and not based here in the US. And the US version of that is much more of a facilitator. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to stop talking and let you explain how do you talk to those those nonprofits that might be a bit misguided about what you do. Totally, respectfully. That's how we talk with them. <laughs> just Always well, great. actually, we do talk to them respectfully. No, that's great. Nothing to apologize I mean, for. They're my that. people, after all, right? Like I see people. I see, you know, and frankly, that's what the team does. We it should be kept in mind that our team members are also also reflect the communities that we serve, right? Like Trample from Belgium. So if we have a European organization that's reaching out to us, hey, fund us. And for that? the audience who doesn't know who John Paul might be, he's the grand poobah of KBFUS. So, awesome uh, poobah, I want to say. Awesome. He's so cool. Yeah, um, so he's the one running it. So uh, please continue. Right. And then we have my colleague, Elena, who is the deputy director um, from uh, uh, Greece, right? So we do have team members diverse enough and very closely related to the communities that we serve. And so the communication is always humane. Like we understand where you're coming from. That said, we're not a grant making organization. As I said, when they reach out to us, um, we're looking for grants. I think the first step for me when it's an African led organization, trying to figure out, well, unfortunately we are not a grant making foundation, but I'll be interested to talk to you to know if you exist, if you have existing US donors um, and how you might you be interested in our American Friends Fund in order to continue to generate um, funding beyond your existing donors? Um, do you understand the funding landscape in the United States? So it's really taking the time to know what people's needs are and then figuring out whether we have the services at KBFUS. Then just say, no, we don't fund by. 
thinking about something you just said there, when a nonprofit comes to you and they're not a fit in terms of your ability to give funding because you can't. Right. But you know of places that they should be, like an Echoing Green or a Malago or an organization that has some sort of fellowship program set up for some of the smaller nonprofits. Do you feel like it's a responsibility of an organization like yours to sort of have those contacts or not, not necessarily say, go talk to Lisa there, but, mm-hmm. but more like just knowing that those organizations exist for organizations like a nonprofit? The short answer to that is we don't actively serve as a fundraiser in any form whatsoever, right? Um, and this is where it gets a bit interesting because of of our, of our trusted relationship with donors as well. We don't want to overwhelm anybody. You come to us with your needs. We have the services. We'll do the best that we can professionally with integrity to serve your needs on both sides. Um, that said, our approach has always been one to get to know who is reaching out to us what are their needs, and then figuring out whether KBF US has those services to address those those needs. Now, in terms of recommending things to them, we don't act like we know what's good for people, right? Unless they, for me personally, it's an ad hoc thing. So if I'm on the call, if I'm on the call with someone and they say, hey, do you know someone at Echoing Green or do you know somebody? We don't serve that role, unfortunately. We, we don't actively fundraise for organizations, unfortunately. Um, but do we recommend um, other services that might be a fit for them? Or do, like, Especially if we know? I think it's, it depends on who you're talking to. Of course. To. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Do's and don'ts. Give me at least one example of a do and a don't that nonprofits should know before engaging other donors or yourself uh, specifically or as a whole. Yeah. Uh, do's. Do get to know them. Um, and I keep saying this as someone who's worked on both sides, like the grant making and the funder side. Um, get to know people. Funders are human beings. And I know philanthropy has a lot of problem, and I'm sure we're going to get to that in a little bit. But honestly, people give for a reason. Get to know them. Impact is great. Um, you know, direct ask, why not? But I think ultimately that personal connection is gonna carry people a very long way. It carries a relationship much more beyond funding. Um, it, it carries a relationship much more beyond your initial connection to one funder. It can it can branch out into a network. So that would be like a do that I can recommend based on my experience. The done for us, don't assume we are a, a grant. <laughs> we are a donor, we're not. Hammer that nail deep into the wall. We yeah, we don't, we're not a donor, unfortunately, so don't assume that. Um, the don't is, I would say, I think when people come, and I say this in the context of the African nonprofit, because of its emerging nature and people, the, the need for resources, right? So if you come into that table, with desperate needs, it becomes very difficult to carry that conversation forward, um, looking at it in the long run. I I know it's very hard when you're dealing with issues and communities that have dire needs. Um, it's very hard to come to the conversation at the table and say, hey, so how are you doing? I'm just interested in knowing um, what your journey has been as a donor, what get you to this in the first place, and so on. When you're dealing with like emergencies, nobody has time for that, frankly. But I wouldn't, I would prioritize building relationships more and less transactional relations. I'd like to say something to that as well. I, I, it's funny because we talk about storytelling, and storytelling has been something that's been coming up uh, of late. I mean, it's always coming up, mm. obviously. 
but I think there's a mixed message that comes when we talk about messaging because we talk about coming from a place of honesty mm -hmm. and experience and yet it's almost like give us experience but don't give us too much don't don't depress us but I mean the work that's being done most times is there's a sense of depression that happens with it even if the the outcome is uplifting so I think when we're talking to a non-profit and saying to a non-profit make sure that you know how to gauge how much sympathy you're eliciting how much turmoil you're, you're putting out there mm -hmm. for someone to hear it might be hard you know and you might be talking Absolutely. to someone who's also traumatized and not just a person who's representing the traumatizer representing a community but also a member of that community that's also suffering mm -hmm. so and i always feel a bit weird about that because we do talk about storytelling and understanding how to bring somebody in from your personal story but when it's raw when it's really hard mm -hmm. how do we actually make sure that we're not re-traumatizing the person who's giving that but also mm -hmm. not saying to them your story is too raw like give us less even though they may have to do that if they want to make that relationship it's, it's not so easy to do so obviously knowing your own experiences mm -hmm. and your own story how do you talk to non-profits and say where do you find that balance of giving us the, the part of your story that's the hard thing to talk about and the thing that can connect me, but also the inspiration, the thing that will make me want to come and join you on that fight. It's a difficult balancing act. Absolutely. To create, so. And this is more on my lived experience side in addition to the professional one. I think the way that I've approached this, the hard conversations is looking at the framework of innovation. What, have, what are the incredible obstacles have you overcome to get here? Which is sort of align more on possibilities than all is lost, right? If that makes sense. And the nonprofits um, that I've engaged with, especially at the leadership level, is those that can like that can communicate, yes, it sucks. Yes, this is difficult. We often don't even have public services. I have to go above and beyond to do what needs to be done. That said, I am hopeful this is this is our evidence for solution, and our hope is that as a funder or put prospect, here's where you enter to to um, provide your own support and own solution. So I think, for me personally, framing it as a solution finding, problem solving together, it sucks. It's difficult, but we are in this together. We have the capabilities and the innovation and the experience, the lived experience, to do what needs to be done until. God knows when government's going to get here, but until they get here... Oh, this tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> I, I heard on the news earlier that the government's okay. going to get everything right by tomorrow. Right, until government gets it right, yeah. this is how we, we're not backing down. This is, so I think there is an element of sadness, but also confidence there, right? And that's how I've been able to work with my uh, partners. Thank you for that. <laughs> and experience. Give me one high and one low from your time, either at your current position or another experience in philanthropy. And I know that we met when you were at another experience in philanthropy, so we won't even name any names if you want to give us a high or a low, but I'm sure they're all highs. Yeah, I think generally, well, let me start with my lowest. My lowest experience has been coming to the U.S. as a refugee. I I don't know what else is going to top that. Um, and so that all of that is to say my baseline is quite low in terms of low experience, you know, like what's your low? Um, but I would say that my my high experience, first of all, I'm new at KBF, so I'm super high right now, like I'm still high, but do keep your phone on, on in case things, the, the, cool. you know, no the plane goes down. I'm like, yes. EJ, let's watch that. <laughs> I, I've got um, the phone ready to talk to No, it's been lunch. great. It's been great being here, like all seriousness. I would say that I have been incredibly privileged to work with some of the most dynamic donors, you know, and I want to shout out to the Israel Family Foundation for this. Um, 
I've just been incredibly privileged to be in a position that that is so strongly aligned with my heart, my passion, my, my mission and vision for Africa. So I would say, generally speaking, I've had a great experience leveraging my existing skills and also informing that with my lived experience as an African. But yeah, Lo has been a refugee. That's been, nothing matches that. I can imagine. I can only imagine. And now I'm sick of bombarding uh, you with questions from me. Now you get to hear questions from uh, other nonprofits. One of the things nonprofits appreciate from donors beside funding is advocacy. This is easier to do with smaller foundations. How does KBFUS amplify the voices of their grantees when the portfolio is so robust? How do you choose who to promote? And then we've discussed this in some points, but now you have a sort of direct question towards that. Okay. Well, disclaimer here: we don't play favorites. Just in case our partners are listening, my mom says we the same say, thing, but I already know we my do not play favorite. favorites. We do not play favorites. As far as I'm concerned, Africa is my baby, so we don't play favorites, and that's the, tr- the truth for all of our other portfolio as well. But the way that we do this is that we, um, frankly, we we spotlight our partners uh we have mentioned uh, we have a lot like in the africa portfolio i think we are 160 at this point so i can't, unfortunately can't name you all uh but the few ones that i've named we spotlight our partners in our newsletters in our um annual reports in our um uh, we literally have a spotlight where we um, let everybody know in our database, here are our partners in Africa and Europe doing great work. Here's what they've done in the past couple of months and so on and so forth. So that's one way that we advocate for them. And I had mentioned previously that the other way too is when a, do- a donor comes to us and they say, I have this fund, I don't know what to do. You have the expertise, you have the local connections, help me out. And that's how we kind of advocate for those that are already doing incredible work and sort of make up for a lack of fundraising <laughs> in that space. We talk to other partners when the opportunity shows up. Um, you know, we're connected in the broader landscape or the, the broader philanthropic space. And when um, in meetings, conferences, people mention, hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z partner that does X, Y, and Z, we already have the database and then we share those. So these are the different ways, even though we don't, we're, we don't, we're not a donor. So yeah, like I was saying that we find... I want to say creative ways uh, to really spotlight partners that we know um, are doing great work across the continent, and uh, and I'm in continental Europe and Africa um, through our newsletters, our general like regular communications with our broader network, so people know who are these people that we're supporting and working with. Uh, we. Um, Jean-Paul, I, I know, mentioned uh, platforms like School Forum. We are there with our partners, with them, working with them, um, supporting their showcasing in terms of their impacts or stories or experiences. Uh, we uh, do monthly newsletters. We do spotlighting. Uh, what I also should mention, right, um, um, the KBF US, not KBF US um, here, but the Brussels, our mother foundation, has the Africa Prize because they're a grant-making um, foundation. There is this Africa Prize that is allocated to up-and-coming innovative uh, social entrepreneurs or nonprofits across the continent. They select one um, and they get a really big prize. I think it's in the 200k um, euros and we have a tour with them. So they go to Brussels and then I guess meet the king and queen. 
which is super, which should be exciting. And then from there, we bring them to the U.S. to do a road, road, road show um, so that our networks also get to know them and the great work that they do. We, so we have, we have different ways and strategies to um, spotlight our partners and advocate for them, especially, again, if that trust has been so long running. Um, in order to help them get the work that they need to do and for us to kind of see out of their hair, if that makes sense. Well, before I get to, <laughs> to the second question there, I think I want to sort of reimagine the mistaken identity because we've almost been doing the mistaken identity ourselves by saying King Baldwin Foundation, KBFUS. <laughs> what happens when somebody mistakes you for the actual Brussels organization or when they think that if they talk to you, they've got a direct line into the, the parent organization? What do you say to those people? Yeah, that's actually a great question. I think this actually underscores the strength of our network as well as our infrastructure. Uh, we almost never tell people, I'm the wrong person you're talking to, don't talk to me. It's more like, oh, it sounds, let me put you in touch with my colleagues in Brussels, or let me put you in touch with my colleagues in Give2Asia. As I mentioned before, KBF US and KBF, KBF Brussels are part of the uh, Myriad Alliance, which is more of a much, much uh, bigger global network. Um, so we'll like put them in touch with our partners who are doing Asia portfolio or Australian portfolio, um, and the same thing across Europe. But yeah, that's how we go about it. If we are totally mistaken for one of those, we take it up on ourselves to kind of connect them to the right people and then just hand them over. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, and the final question from the nonprofits, those pesky nonprofits. How does a small nonprofit in the global south get on the radar of a Western foundation in a significant way? That's a tough one. They ask tougher questions than I do. You do honest. have a tough, yeah. No, but there, there are good ones, there are very good ones. A couple of things. Um, small nonprofits, I would. Most of the ones, and I've mostly dealt with the very grassroots as well as super high level, like international NGOs. I think your, for small ones, your best segue could be your board, especially if they've got international experience, right? Like helping you make those connections, that's one. The other one are also potential um, existing donors that could be that advocate for you, which is why trust personal connections is very important, as we mentioned before. So it would be your board, your current donors who could advocate for you if you've given them all the information that they need. And frankly, they know what you're up to in terms of, I know that I can put my name on the line for this person or this leader. Um, and then tied to that are probably other nonprofits that are um, doing similar work, not exactly the same work per se, because let's be honest, the social issues on the ground in many countries across Africa are quite significant. No one pro one profit can like claim, I know the answer, you just can't. Um, so if there are organizations that do similar work, but that are looking at the problem from a different angle, you could talk to them. Hey, how do I? How did you get funded? How do we get to um, talk to donors who might be interested in in, the, in similar work, but us tackling it from a different angle? What would be your recommendations for that? And most leaders that I know, nonprofit leaders, are willing to share their lessons learned. They're willing to even go out of their ways to make those connections. People say, you know, it's very competitive. We're all competing for the same pie or the same pot, rather. But I've seen a lot of people who do otherwise. I'm willing to introduce you um, and then see if we can, we can get recommendations for you. But those are some of the ways that I would recommend it. Just to second that, I would say that a massive amount of recommendations that come uh, for nonprofits come from nonprofits. Exactly. And 
during my time in philanthropy, I've had many nonprofits say, do you know about this organization? They are in my community doing this instead of what we're doing, and maybe they're worth a look. Or I know someone who I met at a conference who's doing the same work, but they're doing it in Tanzania as opposed to Uganda right. or wherever they're based. So I, I will say that actually does happen. There is a bit of selflessness when it comes to looking to see that good work continues and moves forward. Thanks for so, seconding that. I was loud enough. Alone. My pleasure. I was very happily seconded. And I'm going to get you out by talking about the future, which is looking sometimes a bit bleak you know, these days, but we're going to look beyond that, it's specifically around five years beyond that. What is something five years from now that you wish to be able to look back on with pride that your philanthropy has accomplished? I think KBFUS is already on the way there. Um, I think the work that we do, and really, I, you know, not a shameless plug, just facts. KBFU is serving as a facilitator in the way that it does, serving as an extended infrastructure in the United States, is already taking a risk. Um, we are willing to do the work in order for local grassroots-led, so you know, locally-led solutions to thrive. Um, and I, I wish that most nonprofits kind of work that way, in the sense that the nonprofit space as a whole can tap into its catalytic power. Because I think that's what KBFUS does, and we want that at a much larger scale. So in five years, I want that to be like a global movement, if that makes sense, like a collective effort. Um, what, one of the things that I forgot to mention that maybe this is a good time to, is uh, the African Visionary Fund, for instance, right, is a collection of donors who came together um, and decided, we all are passionate about locally-led solutions in Africa. Let's pool our funds or let's pool our resources to make sure this becomes true. And we have now the, um, you know, the African Visionary Fund that's led by two incredibly dynamic and visionary leaders themselves. You know, Katie, hi Katie, and Ati, um, they're leading that. So, but, but all of that is to say that KBF has already been on the path doing that catalytic work for about 20 plus years at this point, the KBF US branch, and I hope it becomes like a much global movement where nonprofit, the nonprofit sector with all of its problems, <laughs> at least leverages that powerful capacity to like unlock um, impact at a, as an, and serve as a catalytic um, vehicle for that. Thank you very much, Kadi. Kadi Siller from the King Badawin Foundation US, KBFUS. That's right. Thank you very much for being here, and thank you very much for listening. Have a great day. Thank you, Jay.